Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio, on with the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to part two of this series, which is a recording of a live Take On Board event with Mariana O'Gorman around climate governance. So if you haven't already listened to part one, it might be an idea to go and take a listen to that one first. There's a link in the show notes. In part one, Mariana gives us an excellent overview of what climate governance is all about, why it's important, and 10 tips for us to take into the boardroom. As is always the case at these events, there's a lively Q&A section. And this episode is that section. So you'll hear guests who are asking questions of Mariana and then, of course, her reflections. So briefly about our expert for today, Mariana O'Gorman. Mariana is a non-executive director with a focus on climate governance and risk. And she works with organisations who want to transition to a cleaner economy. Mariana has represented Australia at international climate negotiations, helped develop climate change education programs at the World Bank, contributed to the design and implementation of a national carbon price, worked on the foundation of, and later at, Australia's Green Bank, the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, and conducted academic research on decarbonisation. So you can see that she's got a lot to add to this conversation. Now, finally, also a plug. If you'd like to come to the next Take On Board event, where we'll hear from Tara Anderson on governing for profit and purpose, it's on Tuesday the 3rd of May. Whilst it's a live event, it's over Zoom, so you can come from wherever you are in the world. There's a link in the show notes to book. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which I am. So I'm on Wurundjeri country, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging, and any First Nations people we might have here today. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks, everyone. We could see the questions popping in in the background, which was fabulous. So we've got about probably 20, maybe 25 minutes for questions. So what I will do is I will um, call on people to ask their own questions. If you can say what board you're on as well, that would be fantastic. So brief intro. Michelle, you are showing the power of getting questions in early over the weekend. 
Um, so can I call on you to ask the first question today? Yes, thank you. So it's interesting because after hearing you talk, Mariana, and then talking with Nicole and Dominique, I'm going to take the liberty of, of slightly altering uh, my question. So the original question was what about the significant resistance to clean energy at a federal government level. So I think what I want to alter that to is there is just, from my perspective, as a very consciously incompetent person in this domain, what are we going to do about increasing the appetite for change at all levels? And I'm using Dominique's wise words, we need all levels. So governments of all levels, business, but also the investment, who's invest, where people are investing. So I use the example of, so Hester's 4040 initiative, so big, big superannuation funds. I work in gender equality, so they're saying, to organisations, achieve your gender equality goals or we're basically going to withdraw funding uh, or withdraw our investment. A bit of a blunt instrument in a velvet glove. What's happening in terms of climate change uh, to, to accelerate, the, I guess, the appetite for clean energy but the appetite for boards and others to really get, on, get with the program? Yeah, right. Thank you. <laughs> I think really in the business community what I've seen and only in the last nine months there's been a dramatic change and they have got on board and the investor community particularly, like people are following where the money is and the investor community is going, I don't want to be investing in something that's unsustainable, not because it's going to hurt the planet, although there are those concerns, but because it's not going to be financially sustainable. That's not going to be a good investment in 40 or 50 years' time. So investors have realised this. Financiers have realised this, which is why the banks don't want to lend to those projects because they don't they think they're very risky and they don't want to lend to companies that aren't serious about tackling emissions. And then a lot of your not-for-profit organisations are taking a pretty active stance too. You know, working in sport with a lot of the sports players saying that they want to stand up for climate action. I think that has been in part, you've seen the business community and civil society take a step up because there has been that gap at the federal level. And people are saying, okay, well, we're just not going to wait for the federal government to, to do this. We're just going to take action regardless because we need to climate-proof our business or we need to climate-proof our organisation. Uh, we need to attract staff to come and work for us. I think the thing that happens when there's not that federal government buy-in is that it does push up the prices. And you've seen that in the energy sector. When there's uncertainty, one of the biggest costs, say, for new renewable energy projects is the cost of finance um, and investors. And so if, you, if you're operating in a risky environment, you know, particularly your equity investors are going to want a very high return and your financiers are, uh, put a bit of a premium on that because there is that regulatory uncertainty. So when you're not sure whether a new coal-fired power station is going to be built or not, and it's announced one day and it's not, and then a gas-fired power station is announced one day and then it's not, that creates regulatory uncertainty. Uh, one of the things we saw two weeks ago was the um, energy minister announced that they were going to allow companies to pull out of their carbon offset contracts. So up until now, companies have been saying, all right, well, I'll produce this amount of offsets and you can pay me for it. And the federal government has been buying those offsets. And they said, well, if you want to cancel those contracts and, and sell them on the private market where prices have spiked, you can. Again, that just created a whole lot of uncertainty in the market. So the prices that have been going up, 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 as investors thought we need to be buying offsets because we need to be meeting our net zero targets, then start, suddenly started going down. And, and that uncertainty just 
creates additional costs for everyone involved in that transition. Yeah, I hope that answers the question. Um, how, do, how do we kind of get the federal government um, to be taking more action and companies, you know, as I said, I think the companies, private sector has been taking the action. How do we get the federal government to, to take this, to take more action kind of on the international stage and, and for national policy? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do have a federal election coming up in the next month or two. That's normally a way of focusing the government's attention on things. Fabulous. Thank you, Mariana. Thank you, Michelle. Next question is from Cynthia, I believe. Thanks, Helia. And Mariana, thanks for the short and very action-packed presentation. Cynthia Brown from the Brown Family Wine Group here. I also have a, a chairing role in the not-for-profit sector. Our conversation really was around some of us were a bit, I guess, mind blown by the sense of urgency, which we perhaps hadn't recognised prior to hearing your, some of your comments, Mariana, and, and the statistics. And so our question was really around how do we get that level of urgency around the board table? How do we get people's attention on how important or how urgent this is, actually? I think looking at it from the organisation's perspective rather than the planet's perspective is always the best way to focus in directors' attention. You know, coming back to those 10 points, what are the risks for your organisation, for your staff? What are the costs for your staff? Because if you look at it through those lens, it's very hard to ignore it. You know, so like as a wine company, you know, you've probably seen some of your competitors and now maybe it's the, the, the Brown family. Uh, I, I don't know, but I've seen some brands that are out there, you know, saying that the profits will be used to clean up the oceans, sustainable wines that are saying that they're, you know, clean wines that are produced using renewable electricity and really trying to market themselves as not only being something enjoyable and tasty, but something that you can have as a guilty pleasure and feel good about it because it's helping somebody else too and then even looking at you know some of the climate forecasts and and what that means for your wine growing areas where we're seeing um you know one a, a two or a three degree means an incredibly dry dry australia for the most part some completely flooding rains in sometimes but a very dry australia and what that then means for your crops um, how that's going to impact things and what contribution you want to be playing as as a board uh, or, or your organization to, to helping mitigate that how you want to be collaborating with all other companies to be looking at some of the things that they're doing so that you're not duplicating efforts and can kind of share some knowledge on you know maybe different varieties that are more drought resistant I guess that's probably quite competitive quite competitive but there would be some things that you could be doing to share that knowledge to kind of prepare your business so yeah looking at it from that perspective of what it means to your organization not not as much outwardly focused I think really does focus directors minds on the gravity and the risks of this challenge thanks Cynthia thanks Mariana and I think the next question actually you may well have covered this off actually just in the response that you've just done Mariana it's an anonymous one so I'll do it but how do you move the ELT forward? Who are reluctant? So if they're reluctant to embrace climate risks and don't see the value proposition of including ESG in corporate planning. I mean, you've touched on some of that already around reiterate the risks, reiterate the opportunities. Is there anything else you wanted to add on that or is the, that answer for the last one cover off this one? Well, well, I think it is asking those questions at the ELT meeting, like, oh, okay, you know, it could be like in your recruitment for 
if you're replacing one of the ELT members or something like that and you're going through a recruitment company, oh, okay, so, you know, we had a list and, and why did these people, you know, what did they see as attractive to our company? What didn't they see as attractive to our company? Those kinds of questions about retention and attraction of staff, bringing it back to, to the ELT's level. So it's not about addressing climate change. It's about addressing a, a staff problem and why do staff want to work for us or not? And does that have any linkages? to climate change. The KPIs is a big one. If your organisation is in the yes. position to pay bonuses, they will follow where the money goes. And that's that's really, you know, that's about good corporate governance, that if you want to set targets for your organisation, you need to make sure that those directors that are making decisions in line with those targets are rewarded for the decisions yeah. that they're making, that they're not facing a, a, a penalty for making decisions that are going to set the business up or the organisation up for a more sustainable future, that they're really being incentivised in the right way and there's not competing priorities. But again, um, you know, making sure that they're engaging externally so that they're not living in a silo and that they're going to conferences or industry networks where there is a greater understanding of some of these risks and where other companies are positioned so that they're not behind the eight ball, so that they're not hearing it necessarily from you as a director but you're hearing it from others in the industry. Fantastic. Thank you. Great reminder there about compensation, linking it. That is often a great incentive, shall we say. All right. Anthea, you're up next. So if I can call on you to say your name, introduce yourself, where you're from, and the question. Anthea, over to you. Okay, thanks. Hi, everyone. My name's Anthea Rowe. I'm calling in from London, Ontario in Canada. And I don't know if I'm the sole Canadian on the call today. And the question I have for you, Mariana, and I've seen a few different examples of this, is your recommendation for what committee to have the climate action or sustainability commitments built into. I've seen you know, it on none. I've seen it in a, a sustainability innovation and technology committee. I've seen it in risk management. Where do you see it be most successful? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I think it really depends on the size of your organisation and the area that you're playing in. You know, like if you were a multi-billion energy generator that has, you know, a, a sizable board and, you know, listed on the ASX, then uh, I think you'd probably be needing your own committee that deals with this. But, you know, in, in other areas, you don't want it to get too separate from being incorporated into everything else. So, you know, your people and safety committee are going to be looking at things like your KPIs and you want people that are talking about KPIs in that committee and not kind of separate from that committee. And same with your risk management. Your audit and risk committee is going to have your risk register and you want people that are actively talking about, well, what climate risks need to be on that risk register and also particularly with the financial accounts, talking with your auditors talking with your exec about the assumptions that sit behind those accounts. Because I think that's that's really one of the most important things. If the assumptions that are sitting behind it aren't taking in the latest science and they're kind of not taking in some of those costs of carbon that I talked about that are costs to the business and they're not actually being realised in your accounts, well, then you're going to be comparing investment decisions that might look, you know, comparable but really one is a much higher cost than the other and you're not going to be making informed decisions. So I think there's certainly a place for it in order and risk. But 
I haven't been on enough boards to tell you what the, the perfect governance structure is yet. Well, and I think it's, as you said at the start of that, it's tailoring it for that. And the only thing I would add there is just in terms of, you know, real nuts and bolts, make sure ESG issues in however they are gathered together, climate, whatever, is on the actual board calendar or on if it's incorporated into risk, make sure it's on the risk calendar of issues, make sure it's actually on the agenda so that you don't just get caught up in financial risk the whole time, even though climate can be a financial risk as well, um, making sure that those other things are covered off if it doesn't have its own committee. And I can see there's some awesome stuff happening over in the chat as well. Who's next? Carol. Carol, again, if I can get you to introduce yourself and introduce your questions, just so you know, we've got about probably seven or eight minutes left of questions. If we don't get through all of them, Mariana, if you've got some time after this, we will do the additional questions because as people know, it comes out on a podcast later, so we probably won't get through them all. Anyway, Carol, where are you? If I can call on you. Right. Uh, hi, I'm Carol. I'm undertaking some research, governance research for not-for-profits. But anyway, my question is, what are the climate change milestones that need to be put in place in the strategy set by the board? And what do you mean by that, Carol? Um, just the approach. So we know we've got a, the board knows they've got a problem here, but how are they going to manage that problem, you know, over the next two years, three years, five years, 20 years? Yeah, I can. I think it's a good place to start is, is looking at what your organisation to be in 2030 and a bit of scenario analysis, what you think your competitors are going to be doing in 2030 or you know the customers you serve are going to be doing in 2030 and and looking at a scenario that is an economy that's radically different to the one that we have today so really thinking outside the box of how quickly these things will change you know that we might all be driving around in electric cars by 2030 or, or or other things like that we might all be generating our own energy but thinking of kind of a radically changed world, what you want your place to be in and where you think other people will be in it and then kind of working back, backwards from there as to, well, how are you going to get there and what are the risks and opportunities, most importantly, those opportunities, because I think we're, we're quite, quite quick to, to notice what some of those risks are but not step back, particularly those that aren't, say, in the energy industry but might be more in your not-for-profits and social services organizations and look at some of the opportunities like I've I've heard um you know as I said domestic violence is is a big part of natural disasters and we saw a lot of research during COVID that that was the case uh, as well I've heard some of the state health departments when they were contacting people and saying you know you need to quarantine you've tested positive um, they also asked them do you have a safe place to quarantine and so for the first time ever, I think a lot of people would have been asked that question that have never been asked by the, the public health authorities, are they safe? Um, probably never gone to a service before, but there was, yeah, an opportunity for an intervention point at that stage to identify where these people were living and who they were living with and, and whether they were safe in their homes uh, out of, you know, these terrible lockdowns There were things that we can do differently. It's the same with, you know, your ev evacuation centres. They could provide intervention points where people that are suffering from mental health or you know at risk of abuse kind of come and be part of the community and we can start to to look at ways that we can be helping them recover as well thank you thanks for the question thanks mariana so leanne i'm going to come to you next uh leanne can i call on you to introduce yourself and ask the question 
Yeah, thank you. So I'm Leanne Robinson and I'm uh, in Melbourne on Wurundjeri land and I'm on the board of the Cerebral Palsy Support Network. And I guess I just, you know, so much of, of what you talked about, Mariano, it just really resonated with me in terms of like things that I think we need to be really thinking about about, you know, in a different way, especially, you know, in the not-for-profit sector, you know, around how we can look to future-proof some of our services. Um, But something that stood out was just that need for training and resources and whether you have any recommendations, you know, really for the not-for-profit sector or, you know, health or or care support service organisations around experts that could really make this sort of training very relevant for the sector. No, unfortunately, I, I, I don't um, know anybody in the, the not-for-profit sector that's kind of doing that targeted training. That's why I think that collaboration is, is really important, you know, talking to other organisations in your sector about what they're doing and what their plans are um, to try and where there are chances to not duplicate and to share resources is really important. As of this year, I've just started working with boards trying to do exactly that. So look at what their what the risks and opportunities are in their sector and trying to tailor it towards specific sectors. I'll have a bit of a hunt around after this and see what we can find as well, Leanne. We always do a follow-up email and I've been, there's all sorts of amazing stuff happening in the chat. We'll include some of those. Oh, look, and already... People are starting to provide some of the stuff over in the chat. So we'll see if we can find some others, but there's also some stuff being provided. Yeah, Vimeo actually provides some good stuff. And I think the Institute of Community Directors also has a bit on ASG and climate risk as well, I think. But I'll check on that and see if I can provide it afterwards. Thanks, Leanne. Thanks, Mariana. I've had a nomination for the next question. So Kat, can I call on you to ask your question, introduce yourself and ask your question? I'm Kat from Greenpeace Australia Pacific. At COP26, a lot of the different standard setting organisations around the world came together and formed the International Sustainability Standards Board, or the ISSB, including the the people who made the TCFD that every second company in Australia is using. I'm just wondering, now that they've released a prototype, what they think the standard should be, but it's not actually a standard yet, have you seen organisations starting to pick that up and use it instead of the TCFD, or is it still very much something that's on the back burner? Um, No, I haven't seen any using it yet, but I think where we will start to see that is probably towards the end of this year, you know, because then they would have had a a year with that resource in place and the kind of corporate reports and annual reports will start to get updated and and start to use the new standards, I think, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Oh, look, we might squeeze in one more then. Uh, I've just said it might be the last one, but we're going to squeeze in one more. Elaine, can you ask, introduce yourself and ask your question? Thank you. Thank you, Helia. I'm Elaine Gillespie and I'm um, attending today from Wurundjeri land. I'm on a couple of boards, the Victorian Skills Authority Advisory Board and the Industry Advisory Board for Health and Community Services. And my question is, what can we learn from the ways that we work during covid to improve climate sustainability targets? Yeah, I think what we saw during COVID was the government's, you know, the previous things that we could never, ever do just completely went out the window. And when there was a sense of urgency and a a shared goal towards protecting people, we could do 
absolutely anything. Nothing is off limits. Uh, we need that same sense of urgency and, and recognition of the threat, which is a lot worse than the threat of COVID, the threat to, you know, our homes, to lives, um, to the economy is, is, is far greater than what we saw during COVID. And we need that same sense of urgency. I, I guess people just don't recognise it because... Well, I don't know why they don't recognise it um, and certainly why governments don't recognise it. I think, you know, most of the people who've lived through the, the Queensland and, and New South Wales floods and the people that lived through the, the Black Summer bushfires, are, there's very few Australians that haven't been touched by natural disasters recently. And so I think people are unfortunately starting to, to recognise this, this huge threat. We learnt that we can rapidly take action and completely change systems of governance and laws and, and what we thought we should be doing and how our society operates if there's political will. Yes, indeed. We can do it if needs be. I've just popped over there. I know there is a couple of other questions. Mariana and I will cover them post-event and they'll be on the podcast. Firstly, Mariana, oh my God, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing such practical wisdom and tips and also for tailoring it so beautifully to the audience we have here in the room. I have learned an enormous amount. I can see little applause happening everywhere. Actually, just for fun, can we take ourselves off mute for just a moment and do an actual round of applause? You'll feel stupid in your room. Thank you. Yay. Um, and in fact, on that, if people can just pop over in the chat, what's one word that sums up the conversation that we've had today? discombobulating, beautiful, important, thank you, mobilising, I like that, excellent, serious, vital, you can see all of them, uh, insightful, action, a whole bunch of stuff coming up there, oh, another insightful, uh, timely, most definitely fun, not the topic, the event, thanks, Joan, <laughs> accessible, energising, all sorts of stuff over there. So thank you. That's certainly how I found it. I said to Mariana in one of the breaks, oh my gosh, I just so love getting people together. So thank you all for being here at the first event for 2022. Oh, a couple of announcements. The next Take On Board events. The next one is already set for Tuesday the 3rd of May. If you want to come along, there's a link there. The Book Club, Take On Board Book Club. We're doing Dare to Lead next time. If it's on your reading list, come along to our Book Club also in May. And of course, the podcast. Thank you. There endeth our first session for 2022. Thank you all. Love your work. Go out there and get climate and climate risk on the agenda. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.